Welcome to our final Life and Faith for 2021. I'm Simon Smart. I'm Justine Toe. And I'm Natasha Moore. And this is our Christmas episode. Oh, it's lovely. But it's not the best part of Christmas. This is. Every year around this time, we start to see some competing versions of what Christmas is all about. Attempts to pin down what makes this time of year magical for so many people, if not for everyone. But let's be honest, a lot of these are very thinly veiled attempts to get us to buy things, right? (laughs) Um, But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't actually really um, meaningful and might also bring a tear to my eyes. So even though I know what the agenda is, I can't help being kind of like wow. Christmas ads. Well, I mean, for me, it's probably more the Love Actually kind of Christmas films, let's say, but okay. the ads do a really good job too. Mm, I will confess to getting quite emotional about some of these. This is particularly a thing in the UK. Every year, the major brands there come up with these Christmas ads. They're practically short films. Um, it's kind of a competition for the best one. The John Lewis Christmas ad. John Lewis is a department store. So not um, the civil rights. That's it. No. no. Oh my <laughs> Different John Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that's usually a major tearjerker. So this year it's um, it, it has a title, like a short film. It's called Unexpected Guest. Hmm. And it's about a young alien girl who crash lands her spaceship in a snowy wood. And As you do. <laughs> is befriended by a local boy. It's all very moving. But maybe my favourite this year comes from the posh British supermarket chain, Waitrose. This is pure joy, but this is infused with truffle. Turkey. Everyone loves a Christmas party, but passing Heston's mince pies off as your own? Thrilling. Just whip these up. (laughs) Myself. Candied figs in your Christmas pudding. Sprouts that are mostly pancetta. And stuffing. Yes, it was me. I ate the stuffing. All of it. Because the best bit of Christmas is the food. This is all slightly tongue-in-cheek, of course, but the idea is that, yeah, yeah, giving gifts and singing carols and watching Christmas movies and gathering with friends and family is all well and good. But we all know this time of year is really about the food. Well, like, they have a point, right? Like, we are very <laughs> we, we are very We're ritual very and almost liturgical in our expectation of, mm. like, foods. Yeah. I mean, like, I think in terms of my own family gatherings, there's still people talking about Auntie Sylvie's lemon potatoes, oh. which, long story short, I have somehow had um, a Greek yaya, and her family became our family. And I think, though, that because of her um, relationship with my dad, the lemon potatoes were not right unless there was soy sauce in them. <laughs> so, yeah, so it has wow, that, all these that resonances. Works. So the food kind of carries memories of the time together and all that. So it is something that yeah. I look forward to. Because my family, every year, every year we make rumbles. We make them on tree day, so the day at the start of December. Um, They're like these kind of chocolate and coconut and rum. Mm. Oh, got it. Yeah, balls. Christmas. Sorry, I heard rumbles, not rum balls. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of, you know, we only have them this time of year. They last until January sometime. How about you, Simon? Favourite Christmas food? Absolutely. um, I go for the full blown Christmas pudding, brandy, custard, and ice cream. Do you like the brandy? 
Yes. You, yeah. You've diced the brandy. Yeah, on the cake. And Aunt, in bushfires. Auntie in Marge's <laughs> cake. Auntie Marge is no longer with us, unfortunately, and I think her recipe might have been lost somewhere, but that used to be spectacular. Wow. We still do the, the full thing, and it wouldn't be Christmas without that, and it's <laughs> truly a, a food highlight of the year for me. I love it. And I look forward to it every year. Now, obviously we are the Centre for Public Christianity. so <laughs> we have the some... Centre for Public Food. <laughs> <laughs> we have some other ideas about what Christmas is, you know, really about. But functionally, I would say that a lot of these specific elements, the gifts, the food, the festivities and the traditions, or even the liturgy as you called it, Justine, are what makes this time of year special. So how do those things link up to a bigger picture of what makes Christmas significant? Well, in today's episode, we're speaking with a couple of revs, actually. (laughs) We've got uh, Reverend Bill Cruz from 2GB and also our colleague, the Reverend Tim Costello. And we're asking them what the best bit of Christmas is for them and what any of it has to do with the birth of the baby in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Bill Cruz, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you, Simon. I'm I'm honoured to be here. Now, in your book, 12 Rules for Living a Better Life, you do describe the origins of what is now a major Sydney institution, your Christmas lunch. I think it starts in 1971 in a church hall in Ashfield with a plate of sandwiches and about two people turned up. Firstly, why did you do that, that original lunch with just those couple of people? What brought that on? Well, it was in 1971, I was at the Wayside Chapel in King's Cross and we started doing them there. And then I moved to Ashfield in 1983 Mm -hmm. and it was just axiomatic to do the same thing. And I talked to the congregation that were basically 10 lovely old Methodist ladies who all wore hats to church and call one another Miss. And they said, but everyone's got somewhere to go on Christmas Day. They all spend time with their families. I said, no, 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 there are people that aren't. And so one of the old ladies gave me a plate of sandwiches and people started turning up and that's really how it happened. We went from two the first year to 13 the next to 11 the third and then 400, and then it just took off from there. <laughs> and you've been doing it ever since. Yes. And nowadays, when you have it, you'll have a lot of people. How many is it these days? Oh, we'll get between two and 3,000 people. And honestly, they go all the way down the road at queues and all of that, and it's such fun, mate. We've got entertainment and clowns and jugglers and singers, and yeah, it's, it's a party. It's fantastic. And we try and do it with all our outlets as well, wherever we're delivering meals, 
on Christmas Day, because it's on Christmas Day when the loneliness and the traumas of the ghosts of Christmas past come back to haunt you. So it's got to be on the day. <laughs> Absolutely. And in your book, you say Christmas is a bit of a nightmare for some people. You're trying oh, to help with that. It's huge for a lot of people, not just for the guests who come, but for some of the volunteers. I, I remember a couple of years ago I was talking to a lady because she came up here and she said her son had got a depressive episode and had walked into a train. And she said, I can't face Christmas alone. I can't face it. I've got to come and help with you. And there's a lot of people like that, you know, people whose marriages are busted up or, or the kids are with the ex somewhere and they're left all alone. And so this becomes a surrogate party for everybody, if you get what I mean. Nobody gets left out. To what degree do you feel like there's a sense of community at that moment? Huge, huge. Everybody's open. The people who turn up at our events really have been broken open by the traumas of life and are so looking out. You can be kind of broken and then you get miserable and angry and, you know, carry on about the world, or you can be broken open, which means you want to reach out. And so the people who want to reach out they're the ones who come and get involved with us. Do you notice things? You've done this for a long time, Bill. What's the things that you notice about human beings in these kind of moments in terms of what they need and what they long for? It's when the vulnerability shows. It's when all their longings show. One of the most meaningful Christmas days here once was a, a, a mother turned up with her daughter, who would have been about five or six or something. And in the middle of the Christmas lunch, the daughter threw the biggest tantrum, sadness, screaming, crying fit you could imagine. And what had happened had been that the girl's father was killed before she was born. And somehow on this Christmas day, she realised she would never, ever know her father. And the sadness and all that was overpowering. And within two seconds, she had 5,000 fathers, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Every man yeah. came from everywhere. And mm. it was just a healing. It was a terribly sad but a healing moment at the same time. Do you love it, Bill? Oh, yes. I, I feel time after time I touch the edges of God, you know, mm. it's just so, ah, oh, it's, it's, it's a time when everything kind of comes together, everything. There was years ago, just before on Christmas Eve, I was sitting in the restaurant and a little old lady turned up and she said, I brought some food for your Christmas lunch. And she had a, in a bag, she had a tiny leg of lamb and a tin of peaches and every Christmas day, she and her husband and her disabled son would have Christmas lunch together. And then the little old man died. So she and the son did it. The son had a disability. And then the son died. Mm. And all the neighbours got together and said, she's not going to spend Christmas Day on her own. And I realised she'd come here and brought the Christmas lunch she shared with her. 
husband oh. and son. And it's yeah. like you suddenly universalize the preciousness of life, you know? Yeah. And it just yeah. hits. It hits you like a truck, you know? <laughs> yeah. And Bill, what has it got to do with the original Christmas story? Do you feel like this is a an echo of that in some way? There's an echo there. There's the fact that out of the sadness and the destructiveness and the what is of this world, new hopes being born every second, <laughs> every second. All you have to do is look and listen and you'll see it. And that over and over and over again, I found that. And it's humbling. It brings it all to life, you know, the, the fact that uh, the hope of the world doesn't come to the powerful or it doesn't come to, I'm getting teary, it doesn't come to the powerful, it doesn't come to the, the leaders, it, it comes to the poorest people struggling. <laughs> That's where the hope lives. Well, it's it's enormous gift to lots of people, and I can you know I can tell Bill it's been in a in a strange way. Despite I'm sure it's a huge effort, a gift to you as well. Yes, it is. It is. It's shown to me the glory of what's in human beings if we just want to look for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope it's another memorable one this year, Bill. Thanks Thank you, mate. For speaking with us. Thank Great you. To talk to you. Thank you. God bless you. You're listening to the Life and Faith Christmas episode. And at the end of a long year, we are thinking about what can be so great about this time of year. The food, the family time, the gifts, the joy of serving others. Yeah, and we were sitting around and talking about the best gift we'd ever received. And it came out that our colleague Tim Costello has a lovely story about the best Christmas gift he'd ever received. And we really thought it was worth sharing with everyone. Tim, welcome. Merry Christmas. And to you. Great to be with you. Um, always great to have you. What is it that you most look forward to about Christmas? Are you a Christmassy person? Are you a Grinch? No, no, I'm, 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 I'm into Christmas. I, I love Christmas. And uh, for all the things you said, uh, the gifts and uh, family, uh, blessed with a, a very rich extended family and all the Costello, my two siblings and uh, their kids and now grandchildren get together. So um, it's it's a wonderful time of food, gift and family. So, Tim, in a moment, we're going to ask you about this famous gift you got. But I'm going to tell you about my most memorable ever Christmas gift. I reckon I was about 13 and I received under the tree, unwrapped, the most spectacular grey nickels 
super short handle power spot cricket bat. <laughs> I'm glad you finished with cricket bat. Mm. Like, Otherwise, what, what yeah, is that? What is Tim that? knows. Tim knows what I'm yeah. talking about. <laughs> he does. And absolutely beautiful English willow, lovely grain. It smelt good. Everything about this was fabulous. And I then spent Tim, I reckon six months knocking the bat in for people who don't know with, this with the linseed oil linseed oil and then tapping the bat with and rolling it with a bottle and all the stuff you used to have to do i don't think you do this anymore you used to have to knock a cricket bat in so this was my pride and joy and all my mates used to give me so much grief about are you ever going to use this thing it's ridiculous <laughs> and it was they were right first time i ever went out to use it i was an opening bat third ball broke the bat <laughs> so hang on does this mean that it wasn't actually the quality it was meant to be knocked in possibly it wasn't the quality i imagined it was and what's the to, moral to say of this i was story? a little disappointed <laughs> that day would be another oh poor little simon anyway poor me uh i've recovered tim um you had a memorable story about your was it your best ever or at least mem- most memorable present? Certainly most memorable, um, probably best ever. So at 11, I was given um, a bike with my name, Tim Costello, painted on it. But it was a story that uh, went with it and the, really the family ritual that uh, accompanied it had, uh, was my father's bike that uh, he had had repainted and he had kept and he told me the story of how... His bike was named Peter Pan. Uh, he'd painted out that and put my name, Tim Costello, in. He told me the story how he would ride Peter Pan to visit my mother. She was, for two years, from the age of 21 to nearly 23 in hospital, told she wasn't going to live. Then when she looked like she was going to live, told she mustn't ever marry. And when she got engaged, they said, this could kill you. You mustn't have children told when I was conceived as the firstborn, I should be aborted to save her life. She said, fiddlesticks, what would the doctors know? And uh, she's still alive at 92. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my. Amazing. And my father took great pleasure in uh, the death notice of the doctor who told her uh, that uh, she, she was Look, going to die very many years spirit. later. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter Pan was the bike uh, of family folklore that my father wrote many miles. He was a working class boy, lived near Flemington race uh, course. My mother, who was quite um, literate, was delighted that her fiancé, uh, had named a bike Peter Pan, obviously, after J.M. Barry's uh, Peter Pan, mm-hmm. and was absolutely shocked to discover my father had never heard of J.M. Barry, let alone read <laughs> Peter Pan. Oh, Peter Pan was the Melbourne Cup winner in 1932 <laughs> and 1934. <laughs> what so. you don't know can't hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> and it uh, rather uh, put a chill on my mother's, you know, choice of who she was going to marry. Um, That's great. But... This uh, story goes on. So I rode uh, what was my dad's Peter Pan bike, uh, repainted with my name on it. I kept it. I planned to give it to my eldest child. And uh, then in St Kilda, way back in the early 90s, it was stolen. And there was great grief that uh, this family heirloom had been stolen. Some 15 years later, I was at World Vision. A call came through the call centre from a man down in Gippsland near Sale. 
He said, I've got a bike uh, with the name Tim Costello on it that I found in an op shop. I'm happy to bring it up if it's his, if he'll, you know, have a coffee and let me have a picture with him. (laughs) Yes. Wow, a small price to pay. (laughs) So uh, Peter Pan, now Tim Costello, was returned to me. And though it's a a bit corroded, (laughs) it is still in the family. So uh, that was certainly the best Christmas gift I remember. Did you give it to your son, Tim? So my son Martin rode Peter Pan. uh, So now three, or Tim Costello, (laughs) so now three (laughs) generations have ridden it. My father was given it when he was 11. So he was born in 1919. And uh, Got it when he was eleven, and um, you know Peter Pan won the Melbourne Cup a year or so later, uh, and that's why he named it. So yeah, that that's my best gift. Did he, Tim? Did we get verification when this bike was returned that it was the authentic item? <laughs> Sotheby's uh, might want to know because we we need, <laughs> we, we need to to get this, you know, a certificate or something. Look, I, I think Peter Pan's now basically in the same state of repair as your cricket bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit sad. You, you should put that in the Costello Museum. Mm. It needs to be restored. Yeah, no, I should. You know, it's quite interesting that my grandfather, my father's father, was an SP bookie, and my father, who grew up near Flemington, always picked a racing winner, given where my career has yeah, ended up. That's right. You <laughs> rebel. <laughs> But, Tim, do you remember what it was like to get that phone call? Because that was it your was, treasured childhood possession. It was unbelievable. I'd given up. And uh, it was like a death, really. Peter Pan had, and my bike had, had gone forever. So uh, it was, for me, um, just the best news, Justine. Oh, so good. So in this episode, we've been talking about um, the best bits of Christmas for everyone. But can we ask you to, like land the plane here. Can you join up the original Christmas story uh, with your story of this return of this bike? Go on, off you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, you know, I could talk about uh, that which was mine, was uh, lost and had to be redeemed and brought back. But look, I think for me, the the Christmas story is literally about God with us. Uh, When you read in Luke chapter 2, the Shepherds in the region see the angels and are the first ones to hear the news that um, there is a child to be born. And, you know, Barnaby Joyce would like the fact that it's in the regions that uh, are marginalised <laughs> and the vulnerable hear the news. But the shepherds were nobodies. They were the poorest of the poor and forgotten. And I love the fact that uh, God with us is saying God sees people who don't have any significance, at least in society's minds. They are loved by God, that uh, this baby born who will die for the sins of the world is first announced to the most uh, marginalised. Of course, they're filled with fear, and the first words of the uh, angel is, fear not. And I often think about Christmas, that um, it's about anxiety for many people. Uh, Will someone come to Christmas? Or we know they won't. Uh, The sense of huge frailty and fragility at Christmas. Will they like the present I give? Will I be alone? That uh, the Christmas message is we are not alone. The one who made this world, who is redeeming this world, has come to us. That's what the name Emmanuel, God with us, means. And uh, I often uh, think of just the profound loneliness at Christmas, which is the opposite of the shepherds. They suddenly knew they were not alone. And this was good news for the whole world. So for me, 
uh, overcoming that loneliness, I think, is really at the heart of the Christian message. And we aren't alone. The Creator loves us. And in Jesus, he has come showing what the world would look like with God's presence, what the world would look like if God ran the show. And for me, that's what I celebrate at Christmas. This has been Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart, Justine Toe and Natasha Moore. We've had lots of fun making Life and Faith this year. We hope it's been entertaining, interesting and thought-provoking for you, our listeners, and we look forward to doing it all again in 2022. After a break, let's be clear. Um, I think we all need a break after the year that's been. And the podcast too will be taking a break over the summer. But we'll be back in 2022 with more stories of life and faith. Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a restful time off and we will see you in the new year. Bye.